0: Listening to Venture Church podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. The high school cafeteria. Can I take you there? It is a petri dish for the American experience, right? Like I remember the high school cafeteria. It was. I remember walking in feeling like it was kind of like the United Nations. Like, each table had their own, like, nationality, and so over here, you've got, like, the table of the football team represented here, and then over here, you've got the cheerleader table, and there were some other, like, prominent clubs in the school that had their own table of people, right, that they sat at. There were a few of the smaller groups that, that also had representation, and then there were cliques of, like, three and four people, and they would have to, like combined powers to get a table. It was like Luxembourg and Belgium. Like they had to like, you know, work together and work this thing out. Right? And I remember being in that situation, and, and, and the truth is that not only were there a lot of uh, different nations represented at each table, but each nationality had their own representatives, right? And they would sometimes cross borders and go speak to other tables. And so it would be kind of like this. Um, Tina from the cheerleading delegation would like to call upon Chad of the football team. And let Chad know that Tina likes him, and she would like to know, "Do you like me?" And Chad's representative would stand up and go, uh, "Chad would like to respond to the lady from the cheerleading table, and but first, show off his athletic prowess by throwing a milk carton at the algebra table." <laughs> and like that's the world. That's the world we live in, isn't it? Like, think about world politics. That is exactly how it works exactly how it works. It's the American condition. But I think what I learned is that in general, where you sat in the cafeteria, it said a lot about you, right? Not like deep, not real deep, I mean, it's kind of shallow, but it said some things about you. It said who you would hang out with, the things that you were interested in, and most importantly, if there were to be a food fight to break out, who's got your back, right? That's That is the purpose of these alliances, right? I think More than anything else, though, what what it says about us is part of our character and our condition, which is this. We as people, we long for loyalty and allegiance. Can, Can you, like, relate with that with me? Like, we experience this all the time. We long for loyalty and allegiance. It's what happens when you're on a road trip, you go on vacation or you go somewhere out of town, and you bump into somebody who is from your same hometown. Suddenly, there's a bond there. What? You're from, I'm from, whoa, do you know Miss, Miss Smith? Oh, yeah, oh, I hated her, had her in ninth grade. Yeah, suddenly you're best friends. The same thing happens when you find out you went to the same college as somebody else, right? You're like, argh, go Pirates, and all of a sudden you're talking in some crazy language, and you got the, the handshakes and everything figured out, right? You, you have this camaraderie. It's about allegiance. It's about loyalty. And the truth is, it's a good thing. It's really good. We like allegiance. We like loyalty. We like to be able to have a reason to pal around with somebody. It, it makes life fun, doesn't it? Like right before I walked up here, William, a lot of you guys might not know William, but God bless his soul, he's a Giants fan. And uh, he came up to me and, and he just walks up and the thing he says to me is, Cowboys, <laughs> thumbs down. I'm like, sweet. But you know what? That's how me and William hang out. I'm a Cowboys fan. He's a Giants fan. We don't have that in common, but we've got football in common, and we like to talk about that. We like that. It makes life interesting. It's, imagine how much fun the World Cup would be. Remember the big soccer tournament? I don't know if any of you followed that. Imagine how much fun it would be if nobody cared who won. Like, yay, you know what? It's been a while since they won. Let's just let them win. No, like, it's not how it works. Like, we really want, that's why there were like thousands of goons in America a month ago garbed out and red, white, and blue going, USA! USA! They don't know the rules to soccer. They're like, what is this soccer game? Is it new? I've seen the foosball table. This is a lot like that. It's really cool. But they don't know. It's not about the game. It's about the camaraderie. It's about the loyalty. It's about the allegiance. It makes you feel a sense of patriotism, right? And it's really cool. And it's part of the human condition, and it's not a bad thing. We want to pick our side, and we want to stick with it. Uh, I think... Then when we get round down to it, it's this loyalty thing, this allegiance thing, honestly, that has you in this room this morning. It is. Think about this. It's a rainy Sunday morning. It's 10 a.m. Where are you? Sitting at the YMCA side by side with someone that you may not know. Why? The rest of the city is on their couch in their underwear right now. And you got up early to come here. It might be because you have some desire to connect with God, like that's the heart. Maybe you're trying to get there. Maybe you're here because, like, I don't know. I might want to try that thing out. But it's that it's that longing for belonging that brings us to stuff like this, to concerts, to yoga class, to pottery lessons. Not because we want to be the world's greatest potter. It's probably not going to happen. Because you want to be able to unite with somebody else and there's something that you can enjoy. And it's loyalty and it's allegiance. And I think that God built that into, it, into us. And, it, and it's a good thing. But if you're like me, you're not always great at it. Like, have you ever let down a commitment? Like, I'll be there. Oh, except I won't because I lied to you because I'm not going to be there. Or I really intended on being there, but I just couldn't make it in something. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We drop the ball. And if you're like me, you probably have dropped the ball on loyalty and allegiance a lot of times for about a month now, we've been in this teaching series called Wise Words from a Former Skeptic. And in short, it's a study through the book of James. We're going through the book of James, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, The the Bible is divided into two major sections. There's the Old Testament, which is about the first two-thirds of the book. And then the last, about third of it, is the New Testament. And that is primarily focused on the teachings of Jesus and the life and teachings of his his earliest followers in the early church. And so that's where the book of James falls. And in this book, if, if I've learned anything over the last, this is the fifth week of that series, if I've learned anything, it's this, that humans have a hard time being loyal to God. Like we do. We drop the ball a lot. That's what the whole book of James is about. If you go back and look at at week one, we saw that people have had struggles and they face problems. And people are the same then as they are now. That's what we learned in week one. And, And why? Well, because sometimes life gets hard and I don't know where to put my allegiance and my loyalty I'm trying to decide that's week one week two we saw that people weren't always doing the right thing that they knew they should do well people did that 2,000 years ago and people still do that now right they're the same then as they are now week three we read about people who said that they had faith but they weren't living it out by the things that they did um, I have a problem with that anybody else right people did that then and we do it now. Last week, Aaron, Aaron did a great job last week, by the way. Aaron, thanks for, for getting up on stage and sharing God's word. It was really cool to see you up here in a different... Uh, Aaron was the guy who just played guitar, if you don't know him, and he preached last week. It was cool. Um, but last week, he talked about how people that James was talking to in the Bible had a hard time controlling their tongues. Uh, guilty, right? People had a problem with that then, people have a problem with it now, and God knows that people aren't perfect, and we're prone to dishonor and be disloyal to Him. And that's just kind of, when I look through the book of James, I see that time and time again. Why do we do that? Like, why is it that we can't be focused on one thing for too long? Maybe it's because we got a short attention span. Maybe it's because we get distracted by shiny things. You're like, ooh, neat. Like, you ever seen that movie, um, Up, the Pixar movie, Disney Pixar, Up, exactly, hold on, I'm getting there, that was good, (laughs) exactly, like, um, there's these characters in this movie, Up, Up is the movie, the old man with the balloons, and he's got the big glasses, if you haven't seen it, go get it, it'll make you cry, and you'll laugh, and it's a great movie, there's these dogs in this movie, and they're brilliant dogs, like, they can fly airplanes, and they can cook gourmet meals, and they can carry on deep conversations because they have these, like, uh, these collars that allow them to talk, and it's really cool, but all throughout the movie, there's this gag that keeps coming up, and they'll be like, and then I said, oh, squirrel! And they look at the squirrel. If you have a dog, you get it. It's like, oh. Or if you have a child, you get it. Oh. Or if you're just a man, you get it. Like, squirrel. Like, and, we, and it happens to us all the time. And I think that's the way we are with God. We do that with God all the time. We're like, God, I want to focus on you. Or maybe you're new to church and you're just checking it out. And you don't even do the God thing. But you know what? You get it, don't you? Like, I want to do good things, but squirrel. We get distracted <laughs> by shiny things. And man, we're like dogs. <laughs> Those dogs. Because we're really smart. Think about what humans can do. We put a man on the moon, right, and then some. We built the Great Wall of China. That's amazing. The iPhone, come on, bacon, right? (laughs) These are amazing things that humans do, but then we just lose it. we just like, oops, I forgot to do good things. I forgot to do the right thing. Uh, We lose it, And, and that's the human condition. And here's what I love about our God. God gets that. He understands that, but he's not willing to let us stay there. He wants to teach us to be loyal and to stick with him as much as possible. And so that's why we've been in this teaching series in the book of James. James, uh, I've said this many times, but in case you missed it, James was once a skeptic of Jesus. Uh, James was a half-brother of Jesus. Um, They had the same mom, different dads. If if you know about Jesus, then then you can kind of work that out. If not, just know he's the half-brother of Jesus. Um, He grew up knowing Jesus. And then one day, all of a sudden, people are going, Jesus, he's the son of God. He's doing miracles. And he's like, uh, my brother Jesus? Like, imagine if your brother your sister came to you one day and was like, listen, I just want to let you know something. I'm the son of God. And you're like, yeah, you're crazy. Go away. And, um, but that was James and Jesus' relationship. But something happened. James began to see Jesus do miracles. And most importantly, we have recorded in the Bible that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, appears to his brother James. If nothing gets your attention, that will. Like, I saw you hanging on a cross and dying, and Mom was crying, and we did the funeral, and what are you doing here again? Because I am who I said I am. And that's who Jesus is. And so James was once a skeptic, but he had some life change, and he became a sold-out believer, someone who eventually gives their entire life to serving Jesus' message and eventually does give, give his life. He, 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 is, he is a martyr. He's executed for his faith. Um, And so maybe you're new to church or God, and this is your first time here, or you're just here for the first few weeks, and you're a skeptic of God. Well, you're in good company. In fact, some of the people who wrote big portions of the Bible lived most of their life not believing in God or serving Him correctly. And so you're in good company along with me, right? We've got questions. But when it gets right down to it, what I love that James understands about us and about the people he was writing to is what we were saying earlier. We have a hard time sticking with the things we commit to. We want to be loyal. We want to be loyal, especially to God. And so, um, the people James were talking to here in this book, they had some loyalty issues too. And so what we're going to get into today is James chapter 4. We've been going through the whole book. If you've got a Bible, break it out. If you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free every week. There's a lot of you here for the first time this week. So if you scoop up a whole lot of Bibles, uh, maybe you won't be able to grab one, but we'll, we'll get more. Um, they're spread out throughout the floor under the chairs. There's some at the welcome table back there. You can also grab uh, the internet on your phone. Look up the version Bible app. It's a really good Bible that's free. We want to make sure people have a good Bible to read. And if not, there's a Bible on the screen behind me. You'll be able to read as well. But we're going to be in James chapter 4, starting in verse 4. And James is going to address these people who have a hard time being loyal to him, specifically. And he's going to come out of the gate, guns blazing. So get ready. He's about to just say it like it is, which is one reason I like James, because that's the kind of dude I like to be. Just say it like it is. All right, here we go. James chapter 4, verse 4. He says, You adulterous people. Ooh, that's a good way to start a letter, right? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friends of the world becomes an enemy of God. Whoa. James comes out guns blazing with some heavy language. He says, you adulterous people. Now, you get adultery. You've heard that word before. In, in, In our vernacular, it means someone who's like unfaithful in marriage. But he's not, and surely there were probably people dealing with that that he was writing to. But he's taken a step deeper. He's not talking about just a, a human marriage, man and woman. He's talking about adultery against God. He says, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Enmity is not a word we use a whole lot, it means standing in opposition to something or be, being actively against something. So, don't you know that friendship with the world is the same thing as being actively against God? You adulterous people. It's, it's a heavy analogy. But all throughout the Bible, biblical teachers use this analogy to talk about man's relationship with God. There are prophets and teachers all throughout the Bible. And, and these are people uh, that they're talking to, the, the people who stand up on one day and they say, Yes, I'm serving God. I'm doing everything with my life for God. I love God. I'm going to do things right. But then the next day, what are they doing? Well, whatever they were before they said that. And they're living for the world. And so he... It's it's this idea of, I want to put a a kind of phrase into your vocabulary, it's spiritual adultery. It's saying, I serve God, I love God, he's number one, but eh, not so much. There's something else that's taken number one. He says, friendship with the world is spiritual adultery. What is friendship with the world? That's a a weird phrase. Does it mean that we can't have any friends? Or does it mean that uh, if you have friends, they have to all be Christians and they have to all... Dress the same and look the same and talk the same. I don't think, I mean, there's not really any case for that whatsoever. All throughout the Bible, you see God saying, I want you to live in community. I want you to have friends. Throughout history, there have been Christians who thought the best way to be Christians was to go move into a cave somewhere or get all the Christians and go live in a hut somewhere in a, in a castle somewhere and just keep our Christian to ourself. And then that way we won't be tainted by the world. But actually, that's not a great way to do what Jesus wants us to do, which is share the light of his love with people who don't know about it yet, Right? And so, actually, is it wrong to be friends with people who aren't Christian? No. I mean, how else are you going to be able to impact their lives? You don't want to let any darkness in their life impact you and change you, but you want to be there to impact them. So what is friendship with the world? Well, the world is James' term for life lived as if this present world were all that there is. Like, this is all we got. Uh, Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? That's, that's the idea. That's the concept. That's all there is. Live it up while you can. Because once it's gone, it's gone. It's the idea that this world is all that there is. It's, this, it's a life lived without regard for God. It's life that's lived according to the values and the desires and the aspirations of this temporary realm. So what is Worldliness. Well, it's, it's thinking like the world. It's talking like the world. It's acting like the world. It's spending your money the way the world says that you should spend your money. It's managing your relationships the way the world manages relationships. And man, come on, watch the news. Is that a good idea? Like, it doesn't seem to be working, so why don't we continue to pour ourselves into it? And that's why James says friendship with the world is like spiritual adultery. The church has been called the bride of Christ. And so basically, around the world, there are people who say, Jesus is, is, is who I'm living for. I'm living my life based on his principles. I'm going to believe that he rose from the dead. And maybe you're not there yet, but there are a lot of people in this room here who are. And so we are the church. Venture Church is not the church. Like, we are the church with everyone else who says that. And, and the New Testament teachers say that we are the bride of Christ, making Jesus the groom. It's kind of a weird analogy, but it's also kind of fitting. And it makes this analogy about spiritual adultery even deeper. Because what happens is we as a people who are the bride of Christ, we start to flirt with the mistress of the world. We start to have a little little side thing going on, a little relationship that we're building. We start to have an emotional attachment. We start to have a little bit of an affair. Behind God's back, we think. It's this time spent dedicating to, to building this relationship with the world that James is saying, "Now you guys got to go. What does he say? You adulterous people. What God wants to know is this, and this is where, like, if you want to hang your hat on something this morning, this might be it for you. What God wants to know is this, am I number one for you? Am I number one? Um, That's what God wants from us. He wants to be number one. What would it look like? My wife is named Lindsay. What if I walked up to my wife one day after work, and I said, hey, Lindsay, listen, babe. I love you. I really love you. And you are so important to me. Oh, I just dedicate my life to you. You, you are number one. You really are. But I think it's important that I let you know, there is somebody else. Yeah. Well, she lives down the road, and she's oh, she's really nice. She's really nice. She's she's pretty, and she does a lot of things that you do different than you do. So she's really important to me too. But don't worry, don't worry. She's number two. You're number one. And all the ladies in the house are like, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> like, you better jump me right now. By the way, that's not true. Because that's not how healthy relationships work. Like, God wants, I mean, my wife wants to know, look, I'm number one. And there's not even anybody that comes close to that. There's not a number two. There's number one. And then there's, like, a completely different types of relationships with other people. But I wonder, do we ever do that with God? Do you? We go to God, and maybe it happens for you on Sunday morning. Maybe it happens in some moment of, 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 of understanding where you're like, oh, i got to change things. And we go to God, and we're like, God, you're number one. You are number one. I love you. I'm dedicating my life to you. Man, I've read your Bible. I've been going to church and stuff. It's awesome. You are number one. But I, just, I think it would be fair if I let you know there's this job I have. It's my, it's my career. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. It's very important. It puts the food on the table for my family. It's a big deal occasionally I have to bend your rules a little bit to kind of fit in at work or to get, get a step up. But you get it, right? But Oh, oh no, don't worry. The job is just number two because you're number one, God. Or, or, or like this, maybe this is you. God, uh, you're number one. You really are. You're number one. I love you. I dedicate my life to you. But you need to know, there's this person in my life. It's my significant other, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever, my husband, my wife. Yeah, they don't really love you uh, at all. Or not very much. Or when I'm with them, I kind of don't really honor you because the things we do together, they're just, I don't know. They're really important to me. I don't want to let them down. I I take care of them a lot. So, Oh, oh, no, 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 it's not like that. Don't worry. They're number two. You're number one, God. See, that's not how a healthy relationship works. God wants to know that he's number one and there's nothing else that even comes close. And so the challenge today is this. What does it look like to put God... As number one, Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Number one, when you're seeking the things of this world, and trying to decide like what's most important to me, Jesus says, look, figure out the kingdom of God and seek that. Let everything, let your job, let your relationships, let your finances, let your uh, family life, let how you husband and how you wife and how you parent, how you teach, how you, whatever you do, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus also says, I got the verse on the screen here, Matthew 6:24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You can't serve two masters. God wants top billing. He doesn't want to be second place to anybody. He doesn't want to be like a close first place, like there's somebody else really buttoned. No, he wants to be number one. That's his deal. And this is what he says. We're going to continue in our passage from James now. Check this out, verse 5. It says, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs? For the Spirit is his cause to dwell in us. Listen, this is going to blow your mind. God is jealous for you. He's jealous for you. The way that a lover might be jealous for their lover if they thought someone else might be in the way. Because God loves you so much. He's gone to extraordinary lengths to show that he is jealous for you. And he says, I don't want to be number one. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in that position in your life. He takes things to extreme levels, and he's extremely serious about this. You might remember a few months ago, it was on Easter Sunday. Some of you were there. Maybe you, haven't, uh, maybe you weren't there on Easter Sunday. But I told a story from the Old Testament of the Bible. Remember, that's like the first two-thirds. And it really talks about some of the nation of Israel and their history. And so there's this teacher in there. He's a prophet is what he is, and his name is Hosea. Do you remember the story of Hosea? If you don't, let me just kind of recap it for you. Hosea gets asked by God to do a crazy thing. Like God kind of speaks to Hosea and says, Hosea, I need you to make an example for me. And Hosea's like, yeah, Lord, whatever you need. He goes, um, there's this girl on the street. Her name is Gomer, which is a great name. Her name is Gomer, and she happens to be a prostitute. Yeah, yeah, I know about Gomer. Yeah, I want you to marry her. Take her into your house, make her your wife. Hosea did not want to do that, I'm sure. Possibly because her name was Gomer but definitely because she was a prostitute. He's like, that's ah, not what I had in mind. That wasn't the white picket fence that I was imagining, but he does. I, I'm amazed at Hosea's faith. I think I would have been like, uh, sorry, you have the wrong number. Please leave a message. <laughs> like, but that's what Jose does. He marries Gomer, and it's an awkward marriage. Like, several times Gomer, who was, you know, a lady of the night, she she kind of goes back into her old ways a little bit. She's, she's going off with other men, and At one point, she actually is is made pregnant by another man, and, like, eventually they have three kids, and two of them are hers and his, but one of them is not even Hosea's kid, and and then eventually, like, she's in and she's out. She's in and she's out. I know if it were me. I'd be like, look, either be in or out. Like, you know, when your kids are like, okay, in or out, in or out. Shut the door. Were you raised in a barn? Like, this is the way she is with their marriage, and he's like, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me, by the way? Eventually, she just leaves. And he's left by himself, single dad, three kids. One of the kids is not even his kid. And it was not easy. I cannot even imagine what it must have been like for Hosea to go through this relationship. But then God has this one last request of Hosea. He comes back to Hosea and says, Hosea, listen. uh, I need you to go and do one more thing for me. I need you to go find your wife. Wherever she is, pay the going rate for her buy her back and bring you into your, her, your home as your wife again. What? He does. He does that, that amazing, I don't know, act of love. He, he invites her back in. and This story is crazy. But the story continues, and Hosea explains this. God uses it to show us something. God's like, that's exactly how we treat him. Like, we're in and we're out, we're in and we're out, and sometimes we're just gone. And you know what God said? He said, I'm coming down there, and I'm going to pay the price, the going rate, which for you happens to be my life, because you have given up your life, and I've got to pay a life for a life. And I'm going to come down there, and I'm going to invite you back into my house, and you can come and stay with me. And I will love you. If I were God, I would have probably given up on me a long time ago. (laughs) Okay, Chris. Uh, How many second chances were you wanting? Because I kind of got other things to do. They're not boneheads who want help, and you're a bonehead. Sometimes my failure just exasperates me, and I can't imagine how much it exasperates God. But listen, 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 listen. This is huge. Our failure to be loyal to God has absolutely no bearing on His commitment to be loyal to us. I'm going to say that again in case you didn't hear it. Our failure to be loyal to God has absolutely no bearing on God's commitment to be loyal to us. He's like, I'm in this thing. I'm loyal. You've got my allegiance. I've got your back. I'm gonna pray the price. And God, the cheated husband, offers grace. I mean, we've talked about grace so much in this series in James, and you know why? Because James talks about it a lot. This is a study on the series of James. What do we do, make stuff up? Like it's in the book. He talks about grace, and he shows God's grace, and that's why this next verse, verse six, is huge. James chapter four, verse six, he says, but he gives us, what? More grace. You guys who are parents, you ever get so beat with your kids breaking the same rule over and over again, you're like, I'm gonna put you in a box and lock it and just see how that works, because I don't know what else to do right now. And I gotta know God feels that way about us Sometimes. But it says, but God gives us more grace. And that's why scripture says that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. If we're willing to humble ourselves and just say, God, I'm here again. It's like, I I favor that. I don't want you to be locked in a box. I want you to have this abundant life that I got planned for you, but you just got to get on board with my plan. I really love this verse. God gives us more grace. And we've talked about grace for several weeks in a row. Because we have a problem with accepting the grace and moving on. It's the loyalty issue. But I can't say it enough. God just wants us to love Him and commit to living for Him. That's what He wants from us. He's not looking for us to be perfect. He's not looking for us to hit it out of the park every single day. He's just saying, come back to me. You wandered off again. Come back to me. Love me more every day. Love me more today than you did yesterday. Do better today than you did yesterday. Get some of the habits out of your life that you had in your habits yesterday. Because I love you. I'm committed. But I want to be number one. Here's the deal. God loves you. He really does. And you're really important to him. You really are. And when it comes to God, there is no number two for him. You're number one. And you will be number one. And what he wants from us is the same commitment. So as we close today, I want to ask you a question. What would it look like to keep God at number one? It's not a deep question, but what would it look like to keep God at number one? How would that change? In every relationship, there's work to be done on both sides of the coin, right? I mean, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, just two best friends, coworker, worker uh, boss, employee. Like, every relationship, there's two sides of the coin, and everybody's got to work on their side of the road. God has done his work. He does it day in and day out, day in and day out. His part is when he sees that we've messed up, he offers grace. He gives us the way out. What is our part? How can you make God number one? I think this last section of Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read 7 through 10, it hits it on the head. I want, to, I want to read you this section first, and then I want to kind of tell you a story that I think frames it up real nice. James chapter 4, 7 through 10 says this. It says, submit yourselves then to God. If you want to be, have God number one, submit. I love this. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Sometimes we want to run to God, but we still want to keep our hand in the other cookie jar, Right? He's like, put that mess down. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Sometimes we hit that mark and we're like, come near to God? I don't want to go near to God right now. Like, I know what I've done. I know he knows what I've done. I don't want to go near to God. Maybe you've got other reasons. This last part. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy into gloom. Last verse, verse 10, this, this just kicks it out of the park, and it's something that you really got to take in and maybe spend the next couple of years thinking about, but it says this, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. My uh, grandfather, as long as I can remember, had this uh, uh, lamp on his desk. It was a weird lamp. I don't know if you've ever seen one like it. It's it's It was a bust of Abraham Lincoln. Kind of cool, I guess. I've never seen another one like it, but it was this Abraham Lincoln lamp, and it was on his desk, and... What I knew about that lamp is it had been on his desk for decades. Like, I've seen that thing my entire life. I don't know when he got first on that desk. He's been from office to office in different houses, but that lamp is a staple. It's like a family heirloom that everyone knew about, right? Well, a couple months ago, my son and his cousin were playing, and uh, we, we, we called my grandfather, we called him Papa, so they were playing in Papa's office, and nobody else was in there, and they tripped on the cord, and they knocked the lamp off the desk, shattered it. It was like a, I don't know, glass or ceramic or something and it was broken man the first thing they did they ran out of there they ran to who me like oh no we broke the lamp oh my god I'm like and they tell me that man I'm heartbroken I'm like oh man and you know why I'm upset one because I know how important that lamp was to my grandfather two I noticed somebody's got to tell him that thing's broken and I'm the only one that knows so what I do well I took him back in the room to assess the damage and Oh, man, that, that, thing was, that thing was toast. It was broken. Nobody's fixing that thing. I'm looking at it like, so, all right, guys, we've got to clean this up. Let's, come on, help me out. And they're like, oh, we don't wanna, Look, you broke it. You've got to clean it up. That's life. So we get the trash can. And I'm helping them with the sharper parts. And, but I, I felt like it's important. You know, people need to get in and clean up their own mess a little bit, right? And so I'm in there like, get in there, clean this up. And so they're doing that. And um, after it was all cleaned up, we took the boys down uh, to do what they dreaded most, which was to go talk to Papa, tell him what had happened. And so they're walking. It's like the Green Mile, man. Like, right. It's a movie reference. Sometimes people watch movies. It's a, anyway, and uh, it's the Green Mile. So they're walking, and uh, they, get, they, get to, uh, they get to Papa, and they tell him what happened. Now, he's in the room with a bunch of other people from the family, and so when they tell him what happened, everyone in the room, there's this moment where we're all kind of solemn, like, oh, man, because we all know the lamp. We've all seen the lamp. We all know that it's important to Papa. We all know that it's kind of this priceless family heirloom. Who knows if it's even worth anything, but it's worth something to us, and it's broken. And we see these two boys, and then we all just look at Papa, see what he's going to say. Of course, we all knew what he was going to say, because we know this man. And we know that he loves these boys more than any lamp. But there was a moment, man. He looked at my grandma, and they both were like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm, But then what he did next was beautiful. He, he gets down on their level, and he puts his arms around both of them. He looks them in the eyes, and he said, I forgive you. It's all right. It's just a lamp. I'm just glad that nobody got hurt. Just be more careful next time. And, of course, the boys are like, "Whoa! I thought he was going to kill us. Man, this last passage, let's, let's go back to that, to that verse, verse 7. It says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. This verse 8, I could talk about all that, but I want to look at verse 8. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And maybe you've broken a few lamps in your life. You're like, man, I do not want to walk the green mile to go talk to Papa. I don't want to go talk to God about what I've done in my life. I don't know. He's going to be so ticked at me. Or I'm not worthy. Or maybe you've gotten to a place, and man, I've been here too, and, and maybe you're here a lot. You're just like, I'm mad at him. I'm mad at God. My life is a certain way, and it should be a different way. And I'm not going to go talk to him, but God says, draw near to me. Come near to me, and I'll come near to you. Drawing near to God is something that should be taken seriously, but it doesn't have to be complicated. I just want to unpack the rest of this passage and see how we can draw near to God. Verse 8 says this, come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. and Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You remember when I took the boys back to the office and we picked up the glass? Sometimes you just got to own up to what's going on. And I think sometimes we live in sin. We live far from God. We're like, hee, hee, I'm getting away with this. Hee, hee, And then we're like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was bad. And then we're like, hee, hee, I'm back. In, and it's, it's giggle and it's laugh. And we're not taking it seriously. And the worst thing is this. We never pick up the pieces. And we're like, I'm doing this thing. I'm addicted to this drug. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm, I'm cheating on my wife. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a bad neighbor. Like, I'm abusive to my kids. I'm just, I'm just kind of dull with God, like not even trying, like whatever your list of broken lamps is, we sit there and we're like, I just need to go to God. He'll draw near to me. And meanwhile, there's this pile of broken glass. But just like me helping the boys pick up the glass, God's not like, go pick up the glass by yourself. Cut your hands. I hope it hurts. No, like I came and helped them. That's what Jesus is all about. He's like, look, I'm here to help you pick up the glass. And not only Jesus, but us, like this is church, this is family. Man, I have, I've stood beside some of you guys, I've cried with some of you guys, and I've sat across tables and listened to your stories, and I know that it's hard, but I've been honored to sit with some of you and help you pick up the glass. And I know some of you have done that for each other, with your small group and with people that you just know in your family. But James says, we got to wash our hands, we got to purify our hearts, we got to pick up the glass, because we can't just leave it there. It's not about doing the work yourself. It's about recognizing the mess and understanding that you can't just leave it laying around. you got to wash your hands and purify your hearts. And then verse 9 is crucial. He says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. And you're like, okay, he's near the end of the sermon, and that just got sad. <laughs> but sometimes, man, we are we are giggling it up. We're yucking it up, and we're out. And I'll speak to anyone any age group, but I know that we're in a college town. I know we have... I just read this article this week. Like, we have, like, the number two bar scene in the, na- in the state, and it's, like, sweet. And, man, we go out, and we get plastered, and we're, like, sweet. And we're picking up girls, and we're yucking it up, and it's a great time, and we're laughing. And then it hits at some point, like, man, I, I probably went too far with that this time. Man. But there's not a moment where we're heartbroken by the things that break God's heart. We don't grieve and mourn and wail. He said, look, turn your, turn your laughter into mourning. Like, recognize, and that was the moment with my family when we heard that the lamp was broken. We were having a good day. (laughs) Oh, man. And Papa's sad about his lamp. (laughs) God's sad. And our heart doesn't need, it's so easy just to come up and say you're sorry. It's a different thing to just walk up and say, I broke the lamp. And sometimes we just need to grieve and mourn and wail and go to God and say, look, I... Yeah, I am sorry, but I'm not here to say I'm sorry. I'm here to say I'm heartbroken. And if you could help me with that, I would would really appreciate it. And he will. That's what he does. That's That's what he specializes in. I've said this so many times. God specializes in taking broken situations and making them whole, taking broken people and making them complete. That's what God does best. And that's why verse 10 is my favorite verse of the whole passage. He says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And that's that moment where you're standing, you're going, I broke the lamp. And he looks down. Humility is this amazing thing where it's, it's not about putting yourself lower. It's about putting someone else above you. It's about saying, God, I recognize that you're God. Your standards set the standard. I broke the lamp. The guy goes, I, I know. <laughs> I know you broke the lamp. Gets on his knees, looks us in the eyes, puts his arms around us and says, it's okay. I forgive you. But don't do it again. Next time somebody's going to get hurt, you need to be more careful. Sometimes we have our time being loyal to God. But he wants to be number one. And guys, this morning, wherever you are in your walk with God, your understanding of God, you might have been church your whole life. This might have been your first day here in church at all. We're all at this point where God wants to have himself as number one in our life And I think deep down, each one of us understands that. No matter where you are in your life today, what I want to tell you is this. There is grace and forgiveness for the humble. For those who are willing to say, I broke the lamp. The cool thing is, my papa, he couldn't fix the lamp. But God, he promises to make us a new creation. He gives us a clean slate and a fresh start. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for this day and the opportunity we have to get into your word. Thank you for James and his honesty uh, and his ability to share your truth with love. And as we kind of wrap out today, I just, I just ask that you uh, help us to be more loyal to you every day. Help us to love you more, serve you better. And if there's anyone in this room today who just needs to start that, that trek with you, I just pray that uh, they can find the conversations to make that happen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.